This episode is proudly sponsored by The Helix, a new innovation district located in New Brunswick, New Jersey, the heart of the Northeast Corridor. The Helix provides a critical ecosystem for innovation by offering a range of physical environments, a vibrant community of leading innovators, and a strategic central location on the Northeast Corridor. The Helix will uniquely mix workspaces, classrooms, laboratories, venues, and collaborative environments creating a dynamic community and setting for innovative minds. Universities, startups, Fortune 500 companies, entrepreneurs, researchers, and many others will all call the Helix home. Thus far, the Helix has assembled a community of innovative private and public organizations, such as Rutgers Health, the New Jersey Innovation Hub, RWJ Barnabas Health, Hackensack Meridian Health, universities from Ireland and Israel, and others. The Helix is where ideas will come to life. To learn more, visit helixnj.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. From NJ.com and the Star Ledger, welcome to the Rutgers Rant, your one-stop podcast for the Scarlet Knights. With your hosts, Steve Politi and Rutgers insiders, Brian Fonseca and Pat Lenny. Let's start shopping. All right, hello everybody. Welcome back to the Rutgers Ramp. Politi here, Ponseco Lanny. Hey, uh, basketball season. About that, Rutgers lost to Purdue, sixty-eight to sixty. Seemed like they gave the Boilermakers, number two in the country, their best punch, and that was it. You know, that's just not good enough to beat a team of that level. We'll talk about that. We're going to talk some wrestling. Speaking of teams that can't beat a team of a higher level, talk a little recruiting. Talk a little. Talk a lot of stuff. Isaiah Pacheco, we got a lot of good good stuff here, but let's uh, let's start with Jersey Mike's Arena. Uh, Brian, does that mean is that just the sense? That's that's this is this is the team. This is the basketball team. We should stop expecting it to be more than it is. Uh, it's it's just it's a lower half to lower third Big Ten team. Uh, played its pretty good game against Purdue, but that's that's just not good enough. Yeah, and look, I think there are some things to take away positively. I think it's very clear that whatever Steve Peichel does against Purdue always seems to work, right? Like they've won five of their last eight, but they had won five of their last seven before yesterday. They gave them fits, caused a lot of turnovers, just something about what Steve Peichel does with Matt Painter's teams that keeps them in the game, right? The fact Rutgers had it within one possession multiple times in the second half is encouraging. They had a great second half. The issue is the issue that's been plaguing them all season is that they missed 14 of their first 17 shots. They shot 9 of 34 in the first half. They fell into an early double-digit deficit, and they could not dig out of it. They came close in the second half. They could not get over the hill. Much of that is because Zach Eadie is the best player in the country. And I, I, I was going to say this later in the pod, but I just want to get it out of the way. He is a very difficult guy to officiate. He does not walk on every play. He does not commit three-second violations. If anything, he is fouled every single time he touches the ball. People commit borderline assault on him every time he touches the ball because that's the only way you could stop him from scoring. So I am sick of the referee complaining about Zach Eady. He's just good and... For some reason, people can't accept that, and they have to think that the Big Ten referees are, you know, doing something for the league to save him, and that's why he can't score in March. Okay, let's not. Anyway, are you uh, buying this, Pat? Before you move on, this is a good topic. 
because people were very angry about this. And I don't know. There were a few moments where I'm like, ooh, okay. Seems like he's put his put his elbow directly in Cliff's um, uh, Adam's apple at one point. He didn't get called for it. I don't know. What do you think? It's like uh, the just Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes. Do they get all the good calls in the NFL? I think it's kind of the same thing where like you just – you come up with this conspiracy theory and then you make it work based off of what you're seeing. So like one example becomes blown up. So exponentially more than it is. I don't really buy it. I, he's the, the guy was just a better player and dominant yesterday. And maybe instead of complaining about the other things, you can just appreciate the fact that he was just a great player yesterday. So now I'm not buying it. I agree too. Okay. Go on, Brian. Yeah. Look again, you can point to, Maybe he chicken winged a couple times. Maybe he took an extra step once in a while. But literally every time he caught the ball, he had three guys smacking him in the arm and almost throwing him onto the ground, right? like <laughs> That was the entire FDU, FDU's entire game plan in the first round of the NCAA tournament last year. It was it. It's the only way yeah. to defend him. Yeah. Yes, and I take exception to people thinking he like shrinks in March. His team shot like 20% on threes. That's why they lost to FDU. It's not because Zach E wasn't dominant. It's because they literally did not let him do anything, and his teammates could not take advantage. Anyway, we're going way off the rails here. Look, Rutgers just doesn't have the horses. The previous Rutgers teams were not as talented as Purdue, but they had enough horses and they rode the rack magic to a victory, which it was there yesterday. You know, you had the Knights of Honor inductions at halftime, which was a really cool ceremony. Very well-deserved reception from Eddie Jordan, for Eddie Jordan, for Hollis Copeland and Mike Dabney. Uh, you had Ron Harper Jr. in the building. You had a juiced out crowd, uh, despite the fact that a third of the student section was taken up by football recruits, which we'll get to later. All the elements were there. Rutgers just could not score enough in the first half. They cannot defend well enough. But I guess to pass to you guys, I think one major positive, Gavin Griffiths had maybe his best game in the Big Ten, and Jermichael Davis, sneaky good game on both ends of the floor. Yeah, I, I agree with both those points. I guess I and while watching this game, you're just, every time Rutgers took the ball down the court in that scenario where you're right, they, they, they're within a shot, they're within a shot. There's just no one... You, you trust to take that shot but that's just like there's no <laughs> they pass the ball around like who's going to take the big shot and it's just all right andrea Hyde. it's just uh derek simpson you just there's just no one pat that i was like that you think you gotta get the ball to blank in that scenario it just doesn't exist in this team yeah i feel like more oftentimes i'm like oh no don't take that don't, exactly don't, don't take that shot uh then i'm like oh my god that guy should be taking the shot and uh yeah, I think that's just an indictment of of the lack of offense of this team that's just so profoundly inefficient at 20 points in the first half. I mean, that's that's a high school girls basketball game right there, right? Like unacceptable. It's just like you can't you can't beat the number two team in the country when you score 20 points, no matter how good defensively you are. You mentioned it though, Brian, and you're right. It, this, if, this, if, if this is already, we get some questions, should should uh, Steve Peichel be shifting gears and start playing the young players? I think that happened in that game. Davis, uh, Jermichael Davis, four five. Look, like he was really active defensively, uh, especially when he was when he when they put him in that press. I like that look. I, I I was hoping for more of that. Uh, Gavin Griffith, three of eleven, but he looked like he was in sync at least. It didn't seem like he was the liability defensively that he maybe he was earlier in the year. At least maybe not as much. They both got more minutes than before. So yeah, I guess it is a positive. Well, I'll take exception with a couple things you said. I thought Gavin struggled mightily defensively in the first half. They were hunting him on matchups, and he was getting just blown by one-on-one. I thought he was better defensively in the second half when they did press a lot more, and that does kind of help, one, speed up Purdue and hide him a bit 
uh, take away some less time they have to work in, in the half court and and hunt those matchups. Um, I They are the best when they press. I thought that very clearly affected Purdue. You can only press for so long because these kids are human, right? Like you can't sprint for 40 minutes straight. And I think that's kind of an issue that Rutgers is not great defending in the half court, uh, at least not when you're defending the number two de- offense in the country. Gavin was very impressive. Two of his buckets were off baseline out of bounds plays. Uh, they kind of set it up where they freed him open for open shots. He hit two of the three they gave him. That was uh, encouraging. Uh, he hit a three-pointer, which is encouraging. The other shots he missed, one was a layup and a putback he missed. Uh, a couple of other were jumpers he created off the dribble. My point in bringing that up is that he's not quite at the level where he can create offense for himself, which is probably something this team needs. But if you want him to be a guy who can knock down a shot off of a set play, I think that's a very encouraging sign to see him be able to do that. And Joe Michael Davis, I thought... That is exactly the role they need him to play, uh, not just this season, but really going into next year. If you have a guy who can defend really well, exert a lot of energy defensively, match up with, if not the best player, the second best player on the opposing team, be efficient offensively, hit some of those mid-range jumpers that he took, um, play within himself, not force anything. Uh, The one thing he had to fix was he had a couple of, uh, I don't want to say sloppy, but turnovers he probably should avoid. That was the one Mm -hmm. issue I could bring up. Anything else, I thought he was great. I think he's exceeded all expectations I had for him this season. It's very encouraging to see what he's done. And just to circle back on what you guys said about uh, the offense, I think the issue is they take so many mid-range jumpers, and I'm not sure if that's a design of the offense. I'm not sure if that's just what they feel is their personnel is best to do. But when you play offense like you're the 1980s bad boys Pistons, like you just can't beat teams that are knocking down threes and scoring at the rim, right? Like, And again, the other issue is that the alternative is what? Rutgers is one of the worst teams at finishing around the rim in the country, and that's not going to get better when you're playing against Zach Eady. And they're one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the country. I looked up the numbers before this. I believe they have the fourth or fifth worst three-point shooting percentage among high-major teams in the country. So there are not many options offensively. I just think that I would rather take a bad three than a bad mid-range jumper, especially when Rutgers must have taken 25 mid-range jumpers. You just can't win in modern basketball like that. All right. As as Brad Wachtel pointed out on Twitter, NCAA tournament hopes kind of already over. I mean, not quite, but they've got four quad one games remaining. Twice Wisconsin at Purdue and at Nebraska. Um, they kind of need to steal one of these two against Purdue and Illinois. I think to have to have even like a, a glimmer of hope. Brad thinks they need to win all four of those games. It just seems like that is that it, it that's just a, a miracle, and not even a, that doesn't even get you into the tournament. That gets you in the conversation. Uh, yeah, I think that we knew this was going to happen, Pat. I mean, th- this is an if this team gets into the NIT. That would be great. That would be a that would be a nice accomplishment considering where the way this season has gone. And I think that's still a reason. I think that's still a possible goal, maybe looking at some of the games left. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's a definitely a realistic goal and something to keep you entertained through February. I think Brian did a great job laying out all the things to look for over the next uh month and and what could possibly unfold. Uh, this morning in in that in a post, if you haven't seen that, you should definitely check it out. It was a good one. But yeah, absolutely. I I, I think uh, NIT should be the goal. But e- even that feels like they're going to have to win win fifty percent of the games going forward, be five hundred the rest of the way. And I don't even know if that's fathomable. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Your list was good, Brian. You had first win at the Chrysler Center. You had playing spoiler. 
Big Ten race? This is this going to keep people entertained? Trying to be a spoiler? Well, I was just trying to psych myself up too to cover the last month of the season when we're kind of watching the same movie over and over. But look, I mean, there are some exciting things. I think right. number one before talking about making the NIT. You have to hope this team doesn't finish in the bottom four in the Big Ten for the first time since 1819. I know these things are cyclical and there are good years and bad years, but I think Rutgers is at a point as a program where finishing in the bottom four is almost unacceptable, even in a down year. So mm -hmm. this week is a huge week for that. You host Penn State on Wednesday. You go to Michigan Saturday. Those are two games against two teams you're fighting with in that bottom four shuffle. I think you got to go 2-0. I really do. I think this is the opportunity of the season, really, to I think you have to go two and zero one to make the NIT have any hope, and I think you have to go two and zero to give yourself a chance to not finish in the bottom four. And look, you this is the weakest Michigan team Rutgers has faced since entering the Big Ten. This is the first time they're going to finish in the bottom four. They are an absolute mess. So you have to win that game, get your first one at Chrysler, knock off another Big Ten arena, um, and look, Cliff Amore. Could climb up the program rankings in rebounds and points. Steve Peichel is two wins away from passing Bob Wenzel in program history. A lot of things to look forward to, just not the NCAA tournament, which is becoming the expectation for this program, which is a good thing. Yeah, at least a couple wins would get you. If you win these two and you and you go to Maryland, all right, the Maryland's better, but that's still a winnable game. Then you come home against number eleven Wisconsin. It'd be some juice. You would get me, you'd get me to mid-February with some juice to give you right. If you lose, lose either one of them, that's going to be a tough sell. All right, let's talk about the Eddie Jordan things. I think that was uh, two things that, uh, not just Eddie Jordan, but the honoring uh, the players the way they did was a, was a great idea, smart, well done. <clears throat> but I really love, I mean, the thing that stuck with me were some of Eddie Jordan's comments to you, Brian, before the game, before the moment, uh, where he just kind of owns it. He just kind of says, look, Pat Hobbs did the right thing by firing me. I just, I have very rarely, very rarely seen a coach. I'm trying to think of another example of that where a coach said, yeah, you know, I sucked. I, I deserve to get, I deserve to get my, my, my coaching career ended. Uh, I'm not sure I've seen that in many, uh, many places before. Right. I mean, what, what was your takeaway from him? Were you surprised? Well, I won't say he said he sucked. I would not say that. I think well, he said... You know, what, you know what I mean. I'm exaggerating. But he did certainly say, like, oh, I didn't know what was coming. I just want to make sure people don't misinterpret that. And he brought this up by himself. Before I even was able to ask him about it, He's because I asked him about what he thought about what Pykele's done with the program, and he just gushed about Pykele, called him a wonderful man, and how every time he sees him, he calls him the legend. I'm saying Pykele calls Eddie Jordan the legend, which is just awesome. Pykele is really, really good with this stuff. Some really funny lines, uh, and that's one of them. But Eddie just brings up that... When he got hired, they didn't have an AD. Obviously, he got hired following the Mike Rice scandal. And then after Julie Herman's tenure, Pat comes in and they sit down and Pat essentially says they got to start from scratch. And Eddie understood. He said he's been around. He gets it. So And he's not bitter about it at all, which I don't, not that I thought he would be, but uh, it's good to hear him say that. And he clearly loves his alma mater. He's expressed that. This was the first time he went back uh, since that game against Minnesota, that was the one Big Ten win they had in his final year. And I think he was a little nervous about the reception he would get. Uh, and I thought the crowd did the right thing. They stuck around for halftime for the ceremony, and they gave him a standing ovation. Uh, because as disastrous as his coaching tenure was, I don't think he'd use that word, but I think we all understand it was an abject disaster. Not all of it was his fault. He picked up the program in a rough spot. And what he did as a player far exceeds whatever depths it reached as a program, when he was a coach, and I think a lot of what helps is the fact that Steve Peichel rebuilt the program back to where it is, uh, healed some of those wounds, 
Um, and I think uh, of many, of Steve Peichel's many fans, Eddie Jordan has to be near the top of the list. So yeah, I, th- I thought it was a really cool ceremony and, and a well-deserved moment for Eddie. One of the many off-the-court things that Steve Peichel has done well during his tenure here. It, it's, it's repairing those wounds. Absolutely. 100%. Uh, all right. Let's do true-false. I only got like six or seven, but they're all good ones. All right. True-false. The basketball team will win more than six Big Ten games. We've done this every week. How you feeling about it, Pat? True or false? Uh, I, I think I'm going to go false. I, I think, think uh, I'll be under. Six yeah. or less? Okay. Kind of uh, turned the corner on this one in my my view, right? Like it's almost becoming uh, unwatchable. Brian, six. More so than six. True or false? More than six would mean seven. They'd have to win seven of their last 12. Correct. That's the math there. Yes. Okay, I will say true only because they've played the hardest schedule in the Big Ten so far per Bartorovic, and the remaining slate is the ninth hardest schedule in the Big Ten. So things lighten up significantly. They do play, again, Penn State. They play Michigan twice. They play Minnesota. There are wins to be had, and I think part of the reason Rutgers has struggled so much is because the schedule has been hard. I'm not saying that's they're not a good team. Let's make that clear, but I think they have a chance to steal some wins, especially at home. And I think Steve Peichel is a coach that's going to coach this team through the finish line, no matter the other circumstances. So because of those reasons, I'll say in a very optimistic, I will admit, true. Yeah, I'm going true too. I'm with you. I think I, I like what I saw against Purdue. I think they showed some some signs of life um, that they're going to get a couple here to, to make this a little easier next week. All right, true or false, Isaiah Pacheco can be the greatest Rutgers NFL player ever. Pat, going back to the Super Bowl, pop in the Super Bowl. Is he going to be the best? Is he going to be remembered as the best Rutgers NFL player? It's an amazing jump uh, in in one year. I Last year, I did the all Rutgers Super Bowl team by position. Yeah. And it was a great argument whether you put Ray Rice or Isaiah Pacheco, like before last year's Super Bowl whether it's Ray Rice or Pacheco for the running back spot. And now it's like, oh, man, uh, that's a really good argument to have. Uh, I, I don't think I don't think he – can he be? Anything's possible with this guy, so maybe. But uh, I think there are some really incredible Rutgers NFL legends. Yeah, he does gotta, he's got to go 10-year. Deron Cherry's probably number one on the list right now, or Devin McCourty, those two guys. Um I think. What do you think, Brian? You going to go true or false in this? I was going to ask who you thought number one was, so that that's helpful. I think if he makes the Super Bowl every year of his career, like he's on pace to do right now, he'll be the undisputed goat. I think it certainly helps that he's playing with the modern day version of the New England Patriots, and Patrick Mahomes might be the greatest quarterback of all time when things are said and done. I think he has a chance. I'll say false, but I certainly think all the conditions are there for him to have a chance. And I will say this. He is the only Rutgers player that I know in program history to receive multiple shout outs from Taylor Swift. So if that is a feather, if that's not a feather in his cap, I don't know what is. It better. Let me tell you, he better have, Isaiah better have a Taylor Swift story for me when Vegas, because I'm, I'm out of ways to write about him. Let's just be completely honest. Like, you know, you root for, like you root for, oh, get, oh the Chiefs, they're a great story. Yeah, but we've written the stories. I was all in for the Ravens, something new. Ravens, Lions, Super Bowl. That's what I wanted. Didn't get it. Oh, well. All right. Uh, true or false? It is unfair for the football team to take up half the rack. <laughs> I typed it. It's not half the rack. Take up a full third of the student section for recruits and players. It is unfair. Pat, is it unfair? True or false? 
is 100% fair as the flag bearer of the university for the football team to take up a third of the student section. We can't spend 50% of the year complaining about football and then and then get to this little section of the basketball season and complain about this. It, uh, oh, we I can. We I, I, I hate this, man. Like We can and we will. Whatever they want. <laughs> Brian, you agree? At least 80 of those were current players who last I checked are students at the university. And they are sitting in the student section. Oh, that's um, great, great point. Oh, I, I know. I, mean, I should have been a lawyer in another life. But I will say... A third of the student section is a bit much. I understand the two sides of the coin here are it's good for them to do it against number two Purdue because that's the biggest home game of the year and a great atmosphere to sell to recruits. It sucks for students who trudge their way to watch Stonehill and Merrimack and the Sisters of the Poor and now Purdue's in town and you're two, waiting two hours before the game for a ticket and oh, sorry, can't because you know Kyle Manungai and his teammates are in the stands going to present the trophy and then leave eight minutes into the game. So it's a tough spot. I understand both sides. Uh, is there a solution? I've been thinking about this the last 12 hours. I don't know if there's a solution. Like, what are you going to build a recruiting pavilion inside of the rack? Are you going to, like, put an underground thing under the court so they could watch while staring up? Like, what do you do to fix this? I just, why did they all leave? You know, I, I mean, told, that's the weird part, right? I, I was I was told they, they wanted to get back home to watch Isaiah Pacheco uh, play in the uh, AFC Championship game. But that game started at three, I guess. All right. That I, I'm just, I am just the messenger here. Okay. All right. Fair enough. That's, I mean, that's, that's a reason. I get it. Yeah. It didn't, didn't Rutgers move the student section back a few years ago, right? To make more room behind the basket. The student I section has been there as long as I've been there. So yeah, I, I don't remember know. that. Yeah. Yeah. I thought, it, I thought it was a little bit closer, but anyway, I was going to say maybe move the student section up and add another seven rows in the front, but maybe I'm, maybe I'm confusing something else. Yeah. Well, I would say that, that what they do is just take up those seven rows and the, the rows behind them, right? Like I, the, the thought is maybe they move the student section to the baseline, uh, sorry, the sideline, the 100 levels, like a lot of big 10 teams do. That's a whole other can of worms because the people that have sat there for 50 years won't be very happy. And I'm not sure if that solves the, because those people would just move to where the student section is now. And then their seats will be compromised by the football team. I just think it's a conundrum uh, that is going to be unbelievably fascinating to see what happens next year when that place is sold out to the rafters. Like what those arguments are going to create legendary gonna, message board threads. It's going to take up two thirds of the, there could be higher demand to have the entire student section. I'm kidding. The men's basketball team should retaliate by owning the entire uh, student section at SHI stadium. Just invite every basketball recruit in New Jersey, in the tri-state area and their parents and their AAU coaches and just fill the entire student section and then leave in the second quarter. Now that would be funny. Uh, all right. I think I will say this. The one last thought, there is synergy between these two programs for the first time in a long time. I think, you know, I understand it's not great optics, but they're, they really are trying to help each other get better. So let's just keep that in mind that they're working, they're rowing the boat and they're all pulling hard together. So, um, that's, that's the good news at least. All right. True or false. The next big capital project in Piscataway will be a lacrosse stadium. Pat. True or false? Lacrosse Stadium. Seems to be true. Seems to be true. Brian? True or false? 
Brian Brecht let the cat out of the bag by tweeting out that him and some donors had dinner in New York and talked about it. Um, I certainly think that and the football facility are kind of neck and neck here. I think football facility has more quote-unquote priority, but I think the lacrosse stadium might be the next thing up. Uh, I don't know when. I don't think it'll be up anytime before 2025. I think it'll be phased, right? I think they'll set the turf, and then eventually they'll add the stands, have a you know a 5K seat stadium. Uh, but yes, that is in the works. And Brian Brecht, the head coach of the lacrosse team, uh, put it out publicly on Friday. Yeah, I think there's momentum for it. I'm going true as well. That's that's going to be the next thing. All right, and finally, true or false, uh, the wrestling team will win a big meet before the end of the season. I was going to make it before I drop dead, but I decided to go with before the end of the season because I'm feeling healthy today. So um, what do you think, Pat? Are they going to win a big meet before, you know? Before not, not this season. Climate, uh, no, before they, climate they change ends two the world. Ranked, two, yeah. <laughs> they have two ranked matches left, one against number six, Ohio State, on Sunday, and then right. coming up uh, against – number one Penn state, which will okay. obviously not be a win. Um, so they're going to be a big un- uh, underdog in both of those. And it's, it's very unlikely. So I'm going to say no. What is the, I mean, honestly, and I, I'm trying, I don't want to be an ass, but it seems like we, well, I'll just be an ass. I mean, I, I, this, they never win these things. I mean, what is the, what is the takeaway? This what was, is the feeling? This was the best opportunity for Rutgers. Rutgers hasn't beaten a top 10 team in the last five seasons, which is, which is really kind of hard to believe when you think about what this program's accomplished and uh, the, the the level that it's been at. And this team this year was constructed to be a top 10 team. It on paper was probably one of its best, ev- maybe its best ever lineups, if not arguably, you know, you can make an argument one way or the other, whatever. It just seemed like they had the perfect opportunity against Michigan. Michigan comes out, doesn't have two of its best guys. Can't get it done at Michigan. Fine. You still got another opportunity against number nine, Minnesota on Sunday. Minnesota doesn't bring its best guy. Things are lining up perfectly. And then Rutgers in every close match just found a way to lose. And it was just one of those gut-wrenching losses where you're just like, it's a real head-scratcher. And you say, if you can't do it this time, like, when is it going to happen? I asked Goodell if this is the same old story. And he kind of barked at that and barked back at the narrative that they can't win the big one um yeah narrative <laughs> yeah, yeah right like he was like the narrative in this one should be that we it was a really close match and the effort was there just minnesota wanted it more and it's just uh it's really it's really tough because it's like you want you want this team to be able to compete against the best they're clearly above the whatever the median is in the conference, they're above that. They just can't get to that next tier. And it's, it's, it's just really been a tough climb to, to get this one significant win. I wonder if eventually people are going to stop showing up. Yeah. It, the numbers are the attendance numbers are down this year. And it it makes you wonder, like maybe people are, are getting frustrated. I don't have a good answer for why the numbers are down, but, uh, the you know you'd expect about five thousand people at a wrestling a big you know top ten match like Sunday and there were thirty five hundred wow so so yeah there's there's been a little bit of a drop off I would uh, 
Well, what was it? Wasn't it Saturday? It was Saturday, right? Saturday, Saturday. 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 There's no football. There's no college football. There's no NFL football. It's a one. It's one p.m. So it's good time. Like, yeah, it was perfect. It was it was a perfect. Everything lined up. Sam Brown's dad sang the national anthem. Everything really? was perfect for this. It was fantastic. And then just an absolute letdown by the wrestlers. Like guys that should not have lost got upset. Just Minnesota was way hungrier and just better. That. Mm. And and that was just that's why people are are really questioning if Goodell is really the the guy and the the fired Goodell people are out in full force right now because they're they're blaming the coaching for this situation and this loss. So I I get it a little bit. Does, does that seem like, like a stretch? It does. I, it's like it does because when when you throw out like the fire this person, it's like okay, well what what's the next logical step? And where are you going to go to get a better coach than a guy that's built this program from nothing? And I just don't think that there's a, a better logical person out there that's going to do better than, than Scott Cattell. I mean, that that's, and it's not entirely on him. Uh, it's just a string of bad things all stacked together. So I, I think it's a little, a little over the top personally. But you can understand like the frustration from longtime fans where it does seem like the program, like you said, he built it from the ashes. A program that was border, that was about to close down. He's built it into a perennial top twenty-five team on the edge of a top ten. But in a sport like wrestling, it feels like the top top teams are like Penn State is galaxies so, ahead of everyone else, right? And the, the second tier is galaxies ahead of the rest, right? So, um, and it feels like the program has stagnated where they can't break through that glass ceiling of entering that second, third tier, or whatever. And I think Saturday was a good example of. This is a down year for Minnesota. They finally have that all-American heavyweight. Like his, I can't remember Gable Stevenson. I think his name was. Yes, right? he's gone. He's gone. Oh, They're missing their best guy. And then you lose these close matches. Like I'm watching Saldano, who's a guy that I know he's a very shrieky guy. You take the lumps with him where the highs are really high, but the lows that we saw on Saturday where they're about to go to overtime, and in the last second he gives up a takedown. Like. That's got to be so frustrating for a guy who sits, you know, uh, mat side, watches every meet, and then you just feel like yeah. an exercise in futility. You're spot on, Brian. Like, that was – look at you going in there deep on wrestling with your takedown. Brian saw down wow. knowledge. That was fantastic. But you're absolutely right. Like, very, very, uh, very frustrating. The longtime person that's been with this program for forever – I totally get the frustration. No question. It's just this is the this is the tough part of building a program. I wonder when basketball it might it may never reach this point. It could reach this point at some point where you build a program up from being bad, or in wrestling's case, literally almost extinct, and you reach this this point and you kind of stagnate. And look, some programs just never make that next jump, right? Like sometimes it just doesn't happen. Sometimes it's really really hard to break through, and um. But you're in a tough spot because the fans expect that linear progression. And there's yeah. no, to your point, there's no logical next step. Like yeah. there's no, you can't fire this guy, but you're not sure he can do the next. It's it's a very tough conundrum to be in if you're uh, a leader in, in for this program. I, I will say this in, in Scott Cadell's defense. Last year, they had a bad year. This and he, and he went out and he was like, okay, what can I do to make this get this thing back on track and and maybe take that next step? And he went out to the transfer portal and got three guys that are absolute studs, and that's really helped. Next year he's got a really good recruiting class. So 
I think he's really done everything that he can. And then it's, it's just the performance. How does, how does the, how do the performances change? And maybe that's the the area that you can criticize him obviously fairly. And I remember to, in Chiano, go ahead, Brian, sorry. Sorry. Another thing to Goodell's defense, he was in for a lot of good transfers. I remember us talking about it in the summer, they were in it. And then obviously NIL is a major thing. And, that was a roadblock for them too, right? Like, sure. sure. That, yeah, I, Shane Griffith was the big name. That would be a huge missing piece. He's at Michigan, obviously. That was the guy we talked about. So uh, absolutely. Um, but I, I actually think that Rutgers Wrestling does a good job from an NIL perspective and actually did really, really well in the transfer portal this past year. I remember asking Greg Shandler the first time around, Greg 1.0, whether it was easier taking the program, which he did from uh, – the absolute bottom to, you know, to the top 20%, or, or would it be easier to get it from the top 20% to the top? And he yeah. was very clear that it's harder. The harder one is that last step. And yeah, I think that's <laughs> it's what you're seeing with wrestling. It, it just, yeah. Um, but man, it, uh, that's gotta be frustrating if you're a fan of that team. Experience the Heldridge hotel, a luxury hotel that's perfect for both the business and leisure traveler. Ideally located within minutes of Rutgers University, the Heldrich is convenient to all the action and activities at SHI Stadium, Jersey Mike's Arena, and the Rutgers University campus. The moment you walk through the doors of the Heldrich Hotel and Conference Center, you know you're someplace different. A place with an independent spirit and a boutique vibe. A place where you can immerse yourself in your meeting or event as easily as you can the local culture. Located in the heart of the city, the Heldrich lets you experience all that New Brunswick has to offer. Whether you're coming to New Brunswick for a fun weekend with friends, in town for a Scarlet Knights game, or attending a business meeting, book your accommodations today at theheldridge.com. All right. Let's dive into some uh, insider questions. Uh, see what we got. We got a lot of weird topics here. How about this one? Ray versus Pop. One game, Ray Rice or Isaiah Pacheco as your running back. Who you got? Wow. <laughs> Um, there might be some recency bias here, man. I'm taking Ray Rice and I'm not <laughs> looking back. He was a beast. People do not Ray for 2,000 yards. We're looking at this like we don't recognize just how good he was in college. The numbers like Kamanungai is going to pass Isaiah Pacheco like somewhere sometime in September for seventh all time. He'd have to run for 3,000 yards next year to catch Ray Rice. I mean, the guy was a beast at Rutgers. He was a, he was a four-time All-Pro. Yeah, you're not that, you're not there yet for me, Pop. I'm, I'm going with Ray. You? So, Kamenungai had a great year. First guy to break 1,000 yards in a decade. He would have to run twice as many yards to catch up to Ray Rice's best season at Rutgers. Yeah. Like the program record. Ray Rice is undoubtedly the greatest running back in Rutgers history. Isaiah Pacheco does have some defense in that he played for arguably one of the worst stretches in program history. Of one of the worst teams in college football of the 21st century. But I think even in Ray Rice's professional career also, he was part of it. Wasn't he part of the Ravens uh, Super Bowl team or he helped them reach the yep, Super he Bowl? He was. Yep. Right. Like this is a guy that was one of the greatest running backs of the past two decades. Right. So I think, um, and pop benefits again, as I said, not to take it away from him, he does benefit from playing for the greatest team of the past decade and the greatest quarterback in the current game. So, Mm-hmm. But he has a chance. I do think he has a chance. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So there you go. We're all taking Ray Rice. All right. Thoughts on the new coaching hires? We haven't talked about that yet. Kent State defensive line coach Colin Farrell, or is it Farrell? Do you know which one? Farrell? Farrell, I think. 
Okay. And Julian uh, Campan Campini, Campan Campani, murdering two new names for me to murder. Uh, both on the defensive line with Joe Harris, Simiak switching, shifting to the linebackers. Thoughts? I mean, I think the best thought I came out of it was that Marquise Watson's going to be in, still with associated with the program, which is important as he recovers from his health issues, uh, which is good news that he'll still be in the building because the players love him. Uh, what did you think, guys? I thought pretty good. Uh, I, I was a little suspect when I saw that they weren't going to hire a linebackers coach. Uh, obviously, Harris Simiak has done a tremendous job and 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 will seemingly do a great job in, with that as well. But I, I thought that was a little suspect. But the, the, the two defensive line coaches seem to have nice resumes and it's good overall. Like, I think the continuity is there and that's what you want to see from a coaching staff perspective. What I'd say is it's clear that they're, one, trying to replace the mold of Marquise Watson in a young, energetic, good recruiter's Colin Farrell had a reputation as a good re recruiter at Kent State, found some under-the-radar gems, which you have to do at a place like that. Um, I think the question of whether they can translate that recruiting to a high major level is totally fair, but I think they've proven themselves at the MAC level. And two, I think people were a little thrown off by the fact they have two defensive line coaches and no linebacker coach, like Pat said. Uh, Rutgers do does run a 4-3, a 4-2-5, whatever you want to call it. You know, four defensive linemen. I think you have space for two guys in that position. Joe Harris Simiak has proven he's uh, a great coach, a good developer, a good defensive coordinator. Uh, I, the way it was compared uh, compared to me is similar to how Kirk Sharaka is the offensive coordinator and the quarterbacks coach. One could argue the linebackers are the quarterback of the defense. I don't think it's peculiar. And Steve, you might know this better than me. People were saying that Greg had two defensive line coaches in his first tenure. I don't know if that's true, but that sounds right to me. I don't. I don't remember that specifically, but I mean. At this point, with the current linebackers, I mean, those guys have been there for like eight years. You could, I, mean, I could coach the linebackers. Good grief, they could coach the, they could coach themselves at this point. My God, they're like perfect. They're like, uh, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I, I, I wasn't surprised by that at all. I think that's, uh, that's something that's typical. And he, I guess they're just trying to get, like you mentioned, uh, a couple of uh, young guys who can hit the hit the recruiting trail pretty hard too. All right, we got some hoops questions. What's going on with Chole? Why is he the only bench player that sees no time if he was considered the best three-point shooter on the team in practice? It's a popular question, Brian. Why are they not playing this guy? Everyone has watched this team play offensively, right? If they thought Antonio Chole could fix this, he would be playing 15 to 20 minutes a night. Okay? I think the logical answer, which I, I, I don't want to say, but you guys are compelling me, he's just not good enough to play. Have you seen him play? I, I don't have the minutes in front of me. He's played very limited minutes this season. You should look at his minutes to shot ratio. He, I remember saying this about Andre Hyatt last year, Antonio Troll takes it to a next level. He has never seen a shot he does not like. That man would shoot from North Brunswick if they let him. Well, um, he only plays two minutes. Go play two minutes. You gotta, you gotta get your shots up, dude. You never know when you get pulled off to the bench, man. I, listen, I man, understand he, that. He calls his own number. I, I I hear that. I'm just, the issue, <laughs> part of the issue with that too is that he takes a lot of shots and doesn't make a lot of them. The practice reports, as a general rule of thumb, and I, I say this, with, I, I just try to be realistic here. Everything you hear out of practice, everything you hear from Steve Peichel about practice, or about player availability, that usually seems very optimistic is probably too good to be true. Take everything you hear from Steve Peichel, who is at heart a very optimistic person. God bless him for that. I think it's great. But take everything he says with a massive grain of salt because if you start taking score of some of the things he said over the last three or four years, I think the track record shows that more often than not, he's being too optimistic, which is obvious with the fact that 
Uh, Emmanuel Ogbley has been close to playing for about a month and a half. Yes. And Jeremiah Williams' NCAA decision has been coming for a month and a half. And I think I'm starting to question whether they'll play in 24-25, let alone the last month of the season. That's another one. That's another popular question. And yeah, the Jeremiah Williams is the best player on the team is something you hear a lot from people around the program. Uh, so we have three questions about him. Is Rutgers being too laid back about the Jeremiah Williams situation? It feels like other schools would have had him playing by now. And one just uh, very lots of explanation point statements. Hobbs has to push the NCAA to get badly needed Jeremiah Williams eligible now. He's not doing it because he's afraid of bad PR. Okay. So there you go. People are uh, conspiracy, conspiracy theorying that one out. What's the deal? I mean, I, I don't think they ever expected him really to play this year, right? A lot, of, a lot of things to sort through all this. One, I want to take through the ridiculous Terrence Shannon co uh, comparison that I've seen some people take. Terrence Shannon is in a legal situation with like Illinois courts and the justice system there and in Kansas. The NCAA did nothing about Terrence Shannon, okay? The Rutgers can't get a temporary restraining order against the NCAA to play this player. Okay, let, let, let get, the situation is completely irrelevant. Second of all, uh, what do they want Steve Peichel and Pat Hobbs to do? To march to Indianapolis on foot and run into the office of the NCAA enforcement and pound their hands on the table and say, let Jeremiah Williams play. What do they expect to happen? The NCAA takes this stuff case by case across all sports. They probably have enormous files of stuff to do. And they just haven't gotten to Jeremiah Williams yet. They haven't gotten to Aaron Eulis, who's at Nebraska, who was at Iowa, who's under a similar situation. And I'm not sure if I read the Nebraska message boards, you're going to see 30 threads about why isn't Fred Hoiberg yelling at Charlie Baker? You know, look, th this is just the NCAA is in the midst of the most transformative moment in the history of college sports. They're fighting Congress. They're fighting NIL. They're fighting literally everything under the sun. Okay. They just haven't gotten to Jeremiah Williams yet. For the seems part. like they got screwed. These guys got screwed, though, right? These Iowa, these Iowa guys. This seems like this was un this, this was unfair railroading. There's some stories out now. You're like, wait, they did what? The Iowa wrestling coach has been saying for months before this news came. So the news is that the Iowa, um, I don't, not not the FBI, but whatever the investigative bureau in Iowa is, went without a warrant to collect evidence in this gambling case. So basically they, the way they found out that all these student athletes uh, illegally gambled or gambled underage was by mm -hmm. recovering evidence without a warrant, which obviously violates every single yes. law and American freedom principle. Um, so yeah, that's the big news. And it's really funny if you, if you follow it from a wrestling perspective, the, the, the brands brothers have been going off on this for, for, for a really long time and he went went at reporters uh over the weekend saying like where were you guys asking these questions when we were pointing this out months ago and and things like that so it's wow. uh, it's really good it's really good that being said i don't expect that to change the situation with jeremiah williams um frankly i think you should just don't play him this year take it as a lost year use it as development keep his extra year of eligibility uh, whatever. Like, I, I understand wanting to have an answer. I want to have an answer because I'm sick of talking about this. Um, but just kind of, he's not going to save the season. It's not a huge deal at this point, unless you, like I wrote this morning, kind of want to see what he can do on the court and what he offers to next year's team. That might be valuable other than that. And to the point about being the best player at practice, contrary to what I just said about Steve Peichel's optimism, take what I say with a grain of salt. But the two practices I saw in the preseason, I was impressed by him. 
I think he'll be a good defender. He adds length and height that they don't have in the backcourt this year. I don't think you should expect him to be a big scorer. That wasn't his game at Temple, but he is a playmaker, had a high assist rate at Temple, uh, doesn't turn the ball over that much. Um, so I would expect him to be more of a facilitator than a guy who's going to you know, score 25 points a night. But I think he certainly would be an upgrade on this backcourt. I don't think he's going to transform this team if tomorrow the NCAA finally rules on him. Or Rutgers fans, take a book from Kentucky who bought out a billboard in front of the NCAA enforcement building, whatever it is, free Big Z, their European player who wasn't eligible. And within four days or two days, he was eligible. Really? Maybe that's what you got to do. So someone just having their morning coffee looked out the window and said, oh, yeah, well, you know what? Huh. We should do that. That's a, that's a good idea. Put a billboard up. Reward them for the effort, you know? You know the. the the, the the fans of uh, Cal Poly women's soccer aren't doing that for their ineligible player, but Kentucky basketball is. So maybe you move up his stuff to the top of the pile. Maybe if Rutgers fans do it, Jeremiah Williams suddenly is the next priority for the NCAA. I'd I put that money, just my just my advice, Rutgers fans, put that money in NIL for, uh, for a, a shooter, a shooting guard off the bench next year. That's what I would do with that money. Uh, all right. Uh, we got a lot of uh, comments and questions and texts and phone calls about the parking situation, which I don't know how we, you know, it's hard to dive in because really we, we, we kind of, we park for free. Sorry. But how many season tickets, or this is the question, how many season tickets will Rutgers lose by raising the donation necessary to keep a parking pass? Um and that's just one from the texters. I, I heard from someone who's a uh, uh, pretty good donor who's upset about this too. Um, just that the idea that they're not really respecting the people who who have put forth the money for uh, many years over there. What is our sense about the parking? Is this a really big deal, or is this just the usual complaints that people have when prices go up? I, I think it's a significant increase, uh, first of all, and. The whole parking, I, I don't really, like you said, because we park for free, I, I haven't really dove into the whole donation policy. And it seems like such a convoluted way, just regardless of this increase, uh, a convoluted way to hand out parking to begin with, right? Like you have to donate money to become eligible to park. Like what, and what, why can't you just pay to park? Uh, it's it's all a gimmick, and I, I do think that people that are complaining are justified. Uh, but without diving into too much of it, I would I that's my baseline. <laughs> wait, wait till they start putting buildings up on these parking lots too, right? right. The, exactly. The cross stadium is going to go in the blue lot. The the yellow lot. That's going to be hmm. right. So the plan is for lacrosse to be the blue lot and uh, the football facility on the yellow lot which is going to cause a lot. Uh, it's already causing a lot of um, complaining. And I know Rutgers fans and college sports fans complain a lot, but this is to a level that rises above the usual complaining. Uh, multiple page-long threads on message boards, some bickering between fans who are saying they've been parking in the blue lot for many years, for decades, and other fans replying, yeah, for many decades, the program has not been good. You got to kind of make some sacrifices if you want to compete with the big boys, right? Um, it's a lot of money to park for a football game, yes. Um, and the increase is there. But uh, I think this is just kind of what you have to do as a as a big-time program, right? Like, I think I haven't, again, I, we, we haven't dove in deep into the numbers. I believe the increase still puts Rutgers in the lower side of the Big Ten as far as donation requirements for upper-tier parking. Um, but I understand the frustration totally. 
Uh, I don't know if it'll affect season tickets. People might just start parking further and further away or just start Ubering or whatever solution you need. Um, but people are very upset about this. And uh, I, I haven't checked Facebook. I imagine that cesspool is absolute mess, but the message boards have been alight about it in the last couple of days. All right, here's a good here's a good question. And uh, any memorable moments involving Rutgers guys that you've covered at the Super Bowl? And I've got a story. Have I ever told you my Ray Rice locker room story? No, this part. This is great. So the Ravens win the Super Bowl. They beat uh, the 49ers. And in the locker room, I'm in the locker room, and there's Ray Rice. He's wearing a nice Super Bowl, freshly minted Super Bowl hat. He's sitting there in front of his bag. He's got a cigar. He couldn't be happy. He's got his T-shirt on. And I'm like, hey, there's the greatest running back in Rutgers history with a Super Bowl hat. He just won a championship. I'm going to take a picture. So I get my cell phone out. This is early. This is 2012, right? I get my, I get, it's Pat's not remembering this story. So I take a picture of, of Ray Rice and he's smiling. It's a great picture. And, you know, look, ah, so I tweeted it out and I'm in the locker room I'm doing reporting. And all of a sudden I start getting, my phone starts blowing up and I'm like, well, what's, I, I just don't like, what's that? So I tried to hit ignore, hit ignore, hit ignore. And then finally, I get a text from Mike Garofolo, the NFL Network, um, and it just says all, in all caps, "Oh my God, what did you just do?" And I'm like, "Oh, and I, I, so I text back, what, what are you talking about?" It's like, "Look at that photo." And so I go back, I go back, and just an absolute, you know, the sweat dripping down. Now I look in the photo, and in the back of the photo, there's one of the Ravens' offensive linemen. And he is obviously 350, large man, 350 pounds. He is holding what I can only describe as the world's smallest towel. And, and if the towel had moved in in any direction, I would no longer be I would no longer be employed in journalism. But it just happened to be covering the one area of this man's body that it could, I mean, and it was it was how and it's the only thing you see in the photo like i don't know how i look i don't know how i didn't see it. it's the only thing you see in this photo is this, is this man in the background and um yeah fortunately was not uh was not canceled after that so that's my that's my memorable ray rice super bowl story yeah i remember that yeah you, that's fantastic absolutely <laughs> fantastic uh, 2013 right so yeah you uh, you know 10 years ago i, mean, I don't know you might Still you know, early enough in the twitter thing right technology wasn't as good on the photo you can't zoom in yeah, ooh, yeah. No, i just uh, i've never done that again like i just that is that's a good lesson to you kids watch what you put on social media did it go viral uh, I, I i did not surprisingly i mean there were some believe me there were some yeah, I got there. I thought the NFL was going to call me. I mean, I was like, I was like panicking. I deleted it. It must have been up, but it's still up for like 20 minutes, which is an eternity. Um, obviously, in the world of <laughs> social media, it didn't I don't think I made Deadspin or anything. It's kind of so kind of scary. Uh, all right. We got anything else? We talked wrestling already. We talked, uh, we don't talk women's basketball. What else we got? Non workers related, but I am curious to hear you guys' thoughts on the two fourth down calls Dan Campbell made for the Lions. It's all anyone wants to talk about, and I'd just like to talk some football with the fellas. What do you guys think about Dan Campbell making those two calls? And more importantly, I think, the end of the first half, they're in the red zone, and instead of going for the touchdown, he kicks the field goal just before halftime. You know, I was screaming at the TV. The first one, I was screaming at the TV. I thought he needed to take the field goal 
for just situational game football stuff, right? You tie, and they they came down, they kicked the field goal. All right, well, you take the momentum right back, you, and it's a seventeen point lead. Like that's the one I thought that was just egregious. The second one less so because it looked like they had all the momentum. I don't know if tying the game there. Uh, in the fourth quarter, it was going to make a difference. I think the 49ers were going to go down and score. But the first one, I thought you had to kick that. Pat, you with me? I'm I'm with you. Uh, I I thought you what you brought up about the first half was really interesting, Brian, because the, the larger point I was going to make is, like, this is who the guy is. And I, I almost respect him staying true to his identity in the big moment. Uh, so... I thought at the end of the half, he was absolutely going for it. Uh, fourth and two, fourth and goal at the two, I think, or fourth and goal at the four, and then kick the field goal. And at that point, you're like, okay, he, he's got some, he understands the scenario. He's playing situational football. He's got a good lead. And then that's why the one that Steve's referencing, you're like, okay, yeah, he didn't play situational football in that situation and came back to bite him. So I half reward him for staying true to who he is, but he, he contradicted himself, in my opinion, in a, little, in, in a few ways. I, th- I think he should have went for it before the halftime for the, the touchdown. I think the reward for that is so much more higher than just taking the safe field goal. I thought he made the right decision on the first for fourth down. If they convert that fourth down, which they should have, if Reynolds doesn't drop the ball, you're, they're going to win the game, right? I, I think. But that's it. The players drop balls. That's I mean, that's why you go on fourth and one when you can hand up hand in the middle the fourth and three is a different beast right kickers miss field goals jake moody missed the field goal in the first half right no one said no one said hey why didn't you go for it on fourth down your kicker just missed the field goal i think we can't be results oriented i think we have to be process oriented i think the thought process was very sound um and they got a right play the quarterback made a good throw the wide receiver just dropped it but i think i think you take that play like not knowing the result of the play not knowing he dropped it i think you take that play 10 times out of 10 assuming he's going to catch that ball eight times out of 10. I just think, I think it was the right play. And I just wanted to bring that up because I know the discourse is going to be insane for the next day and the next off season. And um, I don't know. I, I think, it, I, th- I just think it's a fun scenario to talk about. And I think, I think Greg Shiano has been an aggressive guy. I think that's fine. He's, oh, he's, he's kicking the field goal. I don't know, man. Oh, <laughs> no. he's kicking the field goal. Uh, oh, Absolutely. I mean, no, no. The the fourth, the first one in the fourth quarter to go up seventeen points, go up three scores. Was it? That was the third quarter. Third quarter. I'm sorry. The first, the, the first one, right? Yeah. In the second. Yeah. Half. Yeah. I yeah. think he's kicking the field. He's kicking the field goal. Absolutely, he's going for it, man. I think he's going for it. Oh, oh no. We gotta no. ask him. We'll have some unjustified response in his post game press conference that would make no sense of why he went for it or whatever. Uh, as opposed to Dan Campbell, who was just like, "This is what I do," and we didn't do it. Uh, you know. Yeah. So that was one of the most remarkable quotes I've seen from a coach in a press conference where he said he told his team, like, we may never get back here ever again. Like, that's – he's not wrong. But one, it's it's pretty nuts he said that to the team. And two, it's nuts he admitted that publicly that he said that. Like, that's – you got to respect the guy for being – like like you said, Pat, who he is. Real is doing the NFL. Yeah. I respect that. Yeah. 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 It's a great debate. That's what makes it fun. But, man, I don't know. But again, I just come back to that. Go up three scores. You know, take some of the momentum back. They stick. They they. I think the 49ers felt like they settled for a field goal on the first drive. Then the Lions would come out and match it. It's still seventeen points. Man, I don't know. So to be That's clear, Rutgers is somehow in the college football playoff semifinals. They're up seventeen points, fourteen points in the third quarter against Alabama. Fourth and two, 
Near midfield. You don't think Rex Shiano goes for it? No, I think he kicks the field goal. Absolutely. Well, I will say this, though. You're painting a scenario that's different than this. Like, the, the, the Lions were every bit the same. Like, they were on the they were outplaying. They were on the same level as the 49ers at best. If it was that big of a gap. Like, if, you, if Greg Channel thought, I need to get here because Alabama, we're not going to win this game. Like, I can see that. If there's really a talent gap, if he thinks he's got to play because, you know, like he does sometimes against Ohio State and some of these scenarios where he knows he's not going to win the game unless he's aggressive, that might be different. But in this scenario, right, I still well, think he's kicking. If Rutgers is in the college football semifinals, I think there'd be a pretty good team, but point taken. Anyway, this is all hypothetical. Just kind of killing some time until we have uh, spring camp, which they announced the spring game is Saturday, April 27th on the Jumbotron of the rack. If that's wrong, don't blame me. Blame either my memory or whatever they put on the Jumbotron, but I'm fairly certain that's the official date. All right. We're going to ask Greg Shannon. We're going to get an answer to this question. I'm going to ask some people around Greg Shannon. We're going to find out what he would have done and see if we get five people to have a theory on what he would have done there. And we'll come back next week and we'll talk about it. There we go. Good plan. Something to talk about. Something to talk about. We're running out of basketball season to talk about at this point. All right, let's log off there, uh, sign off there. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks for the questions. Good spirited discussion. And we'll be back soon to talk more hoops. Thank you for listening to the Rutgers Rant. To participate in the conversation and receive live updates about the Scarlet Knights directly to your phone, sign up at nj.com slash insider.